Do you speak crowd lending? Welcome to our podcast covering the crowd lending industry. Our mission is to provide you with all the insights from this market and help you make informed decisions. I'm Gassen, co-founder and CEO of Acredius. We are a crowd lending platform based in Zurich, Switzerland. I'm delighted to host this podcast and hopefully bring value to all our listeners. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Jorist von Reichweig. Jorist is a head investment analyst at Dynamic Credit Diversified Fund. Thank you very much for coming today, Jorist. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, I have a lot of questions, but I mean, we will start with something simple. Tell us more about yourself, please. Sure. Um, so my name is Jorist van Reichweig. I'm an analyst at the Dynamic Credit Diversified Loan Fund. Joined Dynamic a little over a year ago, following a short career in banking, where I was uh, predominantly involved with structuring and arranging warehouses for uh, uh, non-bank lenders. And in my current role, I uh, uh, I support the European part of the Diversified Loan Fund mm-hmm. strategy, or DLF, as we like to call it, uh, which mm-hmm. involves maintaining a view on uh, European markets, originators, and uh, most importantly. Uh, assessing uh, loan performance and uh, executing transactions. Excellent. Well, you told us already a little bit about what Dynamic Credit uh, Diversified Fund more or less do, but uh, what Dynamic Credit does, what what Dynamic Credit offers to to its clients? Yeah, so Dynamic Credit was originally founded in 2003 in New York as an alternative fixed income manager, Uh, and we are currently headquartered in Amsterdam. We have three distinct business lines, um, mm-hmm. direct lending, asset management, and advisory. Mm-hmm. So our direct lending activity concentrates on the Dutch mortgage, on owner-occupied mortgages and buy-to-let mortgages. And we mm-hmm. have about 8.5 billion in assets under management. Okay. Um, our asset management team uh, maintains two uh, distinct strategies. One is the uh, def- defensive ABS strategy which has an eight-year track record and uh, historically generated about uh, 6% on an annual basis for investors. Um, and our recently launched DLF strategy, which, which in a sense is an extension of the, uh, the ABS strategy, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but devised to invest in whole loans as opposed to a portfolio of loans uh-huh. uh, in an ABS structure, but otherwise uh, focuses on comparable asset classes. Um, and Dynamics Advisory Unit basically has uh, two distinct activities. It serves as a valuation agent uh, in the structured credit space and um, has a service that helps uh, all sorts of originators like yourself to mm-hmm. um, present their data and performance metrics in, in, a, in a standardized and comparable way, mm-hmm. which in return helps investors to uh, more easily compare originators yeah. Yeah. and um, uh, basically drives the investment decision. So it basically uh, solves the problem of misalignment that may exist between investors that want to invest in the asset class and uh, do not have the infrastructure or yeah. resources to assess these type of credit. So Dynamics uh, Advisory Arm, it's called mm-hmm. Loan Clear, uh, they do. Okay, brilliant. You're it. Let's deep dive on this diversified loan fund. It's, I think it's a great timing, by the way. But uh, what was the idea behind it? So, 
to be honest, the fund had been working progress for uh, much longer. So these type of projects uh -huh. always take yeah. longer than complete to complete than you initially expect. So mm -hmm. the exact timing, there's no uh, science behind it. But having said that, um, this is, in my opinion, indeed a very good moment to start this strategy uh, with a crisis in mind and being able to conservatively ramp up a portfolio of uh, good quality loans. Uh, with improved net interest rate margins uh, since a couple of months. Mm -hmm. um, other than that, the strategy is also built to generate positive returns throughout the cycle with low volatility. Um, and as such, we are also comfortable to start investing or started investing back in June. Well, okay. well many economies were still in uh, lockdown. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that it is still very challenging to, uh, to implement a new strategy. Very interesting. I mean, speaking about the strategy, so where is from where is the sourcing coming from? So you're using other, you know, direct lenders or? Yeah, so um, we predominantly uh, uh, source loans from non-bank lenders, mm -hmm. although bank lenders are also not excluded. Mm -hmm. um, in Europe and the US, um, we explicitly target uh, good quality loans, predominantly unsecured uh, okay. from consumers and SME. From consumers and SME. So that basically include uh, the topic we're having here, which is crowd lending or P2P lending. Yes, right. yes, absolutely. Interesting, interesting. I mean, uh, you said you started that in June, but um, definitely you have some experience in the past. So uh, regarding investing in you know, non-bank non lenders, uh, can you tell us a bit more about that experience? I mean, or maybe how is it in the Swiss market or even globally? So um, the strategy basically tries to tap in of the possibilities uh, that, that come with the rise of online lenders. And mm -hmm. most importantly, the possibility to introduce positive selection and generate alpha. And by positive selection, I basically mean selecting the best loans from the best originators. Mm -hmm. And to explain a bit more about that, um, I always find it helpful to differentiate between uh, the US and Europe. Mm -hmm. um, so in the US, the situation is uh, that there's a limited number of very large originators that together originate a very significant amount of volume. And it is across the whole credit spectrum from mm -hmm. very prime to uh, almost subprime. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't very actively try to differentiate across originators there, but we do try to be very selective within uh, the portfolio of each originator itself, um, basically by uh, running our own models uh, mm -hmm. that use all sorts of data and identifying the loans that we think are most mispriced. Mm -hmm. In Europe, the situation is a bit different. So we've seen, for example, that the larger platforms in the UK, Germany and France haven't performed as expected. Okay. Um, and as such, we, we uh, try to focus more on other jurisdictions and the more niche platforms that are out there. Um, try to identify good country asset class combinations and within those basically categories, identify the originators that we think stand out by uh, selecting the number of loans from them. Interesting. I mean, uh, you said, so UK, France and Germany did not perform as well as expected. Can you give us some more? 
Um, yeah, so uh, there's a number of larger platforms that I think we all know uh, that have been around for a lot longer, um, but their setup doesn't allow investors to basically adjust their exposure to their own risk appetite. So you, if you invest, you basically take a vertical slice or just market okay. exposure. Um, and as such, uh, the returns have been somewhat below what we think is reasonable. Mm -hmm. So we prefer settings where we can basically, um, within the origination of a, of, of a, of a lender, mm -hmm. differentiate across, for example, risk rate or uh, other attributes. Um, and as, uh, on that basis, outperform uh, the broader market. I see. Thanks for sharing that. So to give some perspective, we are today in Zurich, uh, September 18th, 2020. Uh, the COVID crisis is still here and there, but still there, let's say. Um, just in your, in your opinion, how is this current crisis affected, affecting the industrial set, like direct lending or crowd lending? Um, well, the way I see it, its impact is, uh, in a sense, twofold. So on the one hand, the, the shorter term negative impact is uh, maybe driven by uh, that the, I think it's a fact that many players are still in the start and scale up phase mm -hmm. and um, have yet to show a profit. And if their business model or underwriting model is in a way flawed and performance deteriorates during mm -hmm. this period, then they may see investor commitment withdrawal, with, mm -hmm. which can cause serious cash flow problems. Um, as an example, I, I think we've seen German lender uh, Monedo file for bankruptcy for a combination of these reasons. Um, having said that, a popular argument has always been for a popular arguments for not investing in us asset class has always been uh, that most platforms had yet to see a true economic downturn mm -hmm. as a real test of their uh, sourcing and underwriting capabilities. And from that perspective, um, this whole situation should help to uh, improve models and get investors comfortable with the asset class, which I hope is a longer term uh, positive con consequence. To the point, 100% I agree. Um, now let's speak maybe or tell our listeners what do you think are the main advantages of this uh, of this asset class, especially coming, let's say, from an institutional investor perspective or from a lender perspective? Yes, yeah, so I think there's a very long list of advantages, of course, but uh, they may be there may be two key drivers that, that mm -hmm. uh, should be noted, which are yield and diversification. Mm -hmm. um, to give that a bit more color, we are very comfortable that we can achieve uh, net returns of 5% mm -hmm. within the asset class on a duration profile of one to two years, um, which of course compares very favorable to, uh, to other traditional fixed income yeah. alternatives yeah. that are out there now, which may be uh, yielding a percent or even less. Um, and in addition, any institutional investor portfolio can be diversified across countries, lenders, and uh, asset classes from the onset because you have the possibility to invest in smaller loans, smaller tickets, and even partial loans yeah. uh, from the start, which would help to uh, basically address more idiosyncratic risks as well as uh, country-specific risks and uh, reduce the uh, volatility of returns, yes. Excellent. 
Well, you're it. Um, I think I have a very difficult question for you now. It comes in general at the end. Uh, but, well, I mean, I think everyone here is interested on knowing what's your favorite food. And don't try to trick me out with the diversification thing and I like all the fruits <laughs> and so on. Others tried it, but no. Okay, well, I, I want to do that. And it's also uh, a bit hard to argue that I didn't see this question coming uh, <laughs> based on listening to the earlier recording. So I've given it some thought. And uh -huh. okay. I think for me, it's a combination of fruits. Uh, frozen fruits to be more precise and uh, I think they call it a smoothie bowl so it's something my, my girlfriend and I started doing after visiting okay. Indonesia so what you do is you basically take uh, all sorts of fruits strawberries bananas blueberries passion fruit okay. put them in the fridge okay. one night take them out the next morning put them in a blender add some uh, uh, granola and peanut butter okay and it's the perfect start of the day. I can recommend it to everyone. <laughs> I will just just because today I'm, 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 I'm in a good mood, so I'll accept that answer because that's not your favorite fruit. You're speaking about the cocktail. <laughs> and the next one will give me, I don't know, it'll be piña colada or something like that. But thank you very much, uh, Jorrit, for all the insights you shared. And uh, yeah, thanks again for being here. Thank you for having me again. Thanks. Excellent. Thank you. Goodbye, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks again for staying with us until the end. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media so you never miss an episode. Please don't hesitate to send us your questions and comments at acridius.ch. Thank you.